Welcome to the Future of Money podcast by the Digital Euro Association. In this podcast, you will learn about the disruption of technology in the monetary and financial system. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the episode. Now I'm very happy to welcome Johannes Wong here. Johannes is a treasurer at the Austrian Central Bank and was also one of the driving force um, behind this project because um, I, I read like Johannes the press release um, you, you announced a few months ago and I thought, th uh, thought this was really, uh, really, really exciting. So thanks for being with us today. Give us a little bit of insights into your projects. And now Johannes, the stage is yours. And yeah. Thank you, Jonas. Okay, good afternoon from Vienna. So my name is Johannes Duong from the Austrian National Bank. And as Stefan mentioned already, I'm working in a treasury department in the back office department. So we are responsible for, for collateral management and cash management. And I'm also responsible for the fintech topics. And one of our recent uh, fintech project is the project Delphi. So um, it's about, um, deploying digital asset, in that case, a government bond uh, on a blockchain. And we simulate the settlement cycle with a wholesale CBDC also on a blockchain. So before I go to the detail, it's important to clarify some points is that the, that the project Delphi is a pure solely Austrian National Bank project, and it has nothing to do with the digital euro project of the ECP. And besides, for us as a national bank, it is a research project. So it's, there shouldn't be any indication that the Austrian National Bank is planning to launch a wholesale CBDC in the future. It's just only a research purpose for us. So before I start, um, why we set up the project is the, uh, at the moment in the settlement world, for um, uh, financial securities, there are many custodians and intermediaries. So for example, we have a two days uh, settlement cycle for a valuta day, for a value date. And between all the participants, there are lots of uh, system interruptions and system breaks and 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 there are risks between the, uh, the, the, the uh, the, the institutions for the settlement cycle, and there are lots of custodian and intermediaries. So there are costs and, and, and risk, and also reconciliation is very important between the different systems. And with the DLT or blockchain, for example, there was a possibility to reduce such intermediaries and also reducing the, the, the system breaks. So this could, this could be a, a potential for more efficient settlement cycle. And here again, we, we see that, that the system landscape at the moment is, is in, the, in the settlement world is very fragmented. And, and also in, in the cost through the risk, and there are also swift messages important for the reconciliation and so on. So it, it, it's quite fragmented, the landscape. And on the right-hand side, you can see with the DLT, there is a possibility to deploy the security as tokens on a blockchain, and it could uh, make the settlement cycle more efficient 
and also real-time settlement uh, possible for delivery versus payment. And but the, the, the asset side is only one leg, you know, for example, for the financial asset. But for the payment leg, it's also important that you have also a, a currency, uh, either a, a central bank digital currency or a stable coin for the settlement leg to realize the delivery versus payment. But the, and also it's 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 a, a advantage for the, all the participants for the reconciliation because there is no need for reconciliation because all of them has access to the same da data. But there are some even the DLT could uh, raise um, efficiency and and advantages for the settlement cycle. There are still some questions. Uh, on uh, regarding the, the technology is first of all that the, the scalability because in case for mass transactions is it also possible to to settle it real time without problems on a DLT technology at the moment and also it is important that to that there will be new roles will occur new uh, uh, intermediaries maybe could occur to meet uh, the the regulations and. Also very important is there are not only one DLT technology or one blockchain. There are different blockchains at the moment occurring public and private and so on. And they need to interoperate. To, to interoperate. So there will be, in that case, there could be fragmentation again. So because the, the idea of the DLT is to, to reduce the system breaks and to reduce the system fragmentation. But if we have too many uh, blockchains or type of blockchains or DLT, there could be new fragmentation again. So this is also a, a big question that needs to be answered. And of course, the data privacy is an in, in uh, in important point for, uh, regarding the public blockchain especially. And there also could be new risks that we might meet in case of, of production, in, in case of we going in a production phase on DLT, there could be new risks that we may occur first when when we, when we go in production phase. So before, uh, when I say um, uh, for the settlement lag, we need a, a stable coin or a CBDC. Regarding that the CBDC, there are two types of CBDC at the moment. First of, of the, is, is the retail one. This is the, the digital euro project uh, of the ECB at the moment is, regard, uh, is, is focusing on the retail side. And the retail side, is the digital euro? This is the the for uh, private uh, uh, or for consumer use, yeah, especially for not for institutional. So the digital euro should be uh, equivalent to the legal tender or cash, and it should complement and not replacing the cash, and it should also costless access for the citizens for the digital payment. But this is the retail side that I must say uh, I'm not involved in this project. For us, for me, this is more the, the wholesale side for um, uh, institutional use, especially for settlement of securities. And at the moment, we have target services. So we have wholesale CBDC already because this is the target system. But what the, 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 the important or interesting for researching is on the wholesale side is the 24-7 availability and to you to, 
to 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 put the the the, the, the wholesale CBDC on a DLT uh, infrastructure. These are the two points that are uh, are interesting for the wholesale CBDC. So for our project, a short overview is we. In our project, uh, we we are uh, for us in the first phases we we created uh, a prototyping to simulate the settlement cycle of digital asset with a wholesale euro on a blockchain with uh, national stakeholders. And in that point, in that I must point out this is only a, a, a national project with national stakeholders at the moment. So what are the goals? The goals of the project are, of course, we need to practice the, the new technology because on a theoretical side, I think it's not enough. What we need is we need practical know-how. We need practical uh, knowledge with this technology uh, regarding uh, settlement of 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 uh, of assets and it's also important that we have a team in austria then working together to exchange the the, the topic regarding digital assets and wholesale cbdc so we have in our project three different streams i will come into detail later and also important is in our uh, project we also uh, invite guest speakers from different uh, countries for uh, regarding digital assets and CBDC. And so what we simulating is, is, is also to, to find out how to, does it really minimize the risk and the potential cost for the delivery versus payment or free of payment settlement cycle with this new technology in real time? And what kind of new risk could occur in that case? You know, what kind of new challenges we could have? And the stakeholders of this project are two private commercial banks, the Raiffeisen Bank, Erste Group, and also a participant is the Austrian uh, Central Security Depository, the ÖKBCSD, and the uh, ÖPFA is the Austrian Treasury, which provide us with the data for the government bond, which we simulate on the blockchain. And for the infrastructures, we have in the National Bank uh, Innovation Lab, and within the Innovation Lab, we have a team for uh, um, uh, creating and making experiments uh, on a practical side for the for this technology. And at the moment, we have finished uh, the, the first phase, and uh, in in June. And now we are starting the second phase with more details on this project. And as I mentioned before, the project is separated in three different streams. The first, we started with a technology stream. This is under our coordination of the Austrian National Bank. So, and we created together a, a prototype for both for the digital asset for the government bond and for the payment for the wholesale CBDC. And after that, it is also important we find out that the technology alone is not enough. We need also look at the legal side. So we also look at the law, the Austrian law. Does it meet the, 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 the centralized technology at the moment? We have different aspects we, we look at at the moment, uh, from the property law to settlement finality and secu financial security law and so on. This, it has different aspects uh, regarding this technology. And we are, look, we are still in a phase that we are looking in, in more, uh, we, we need more investigation regarding the, the, the legal side. And 
after that, there is a new stream occurred. This is called the business stream, but this is uh, under the coordination of the of the ökb CSD that the results we, we, we get from the technology and from the, from the legal side, they will go to the business stream and it's looking together with the commercial banks uh, to develop a, a possible business model for the asset side, not for the other payment side, just for the asset side. Yes, and the timeline is we started the project last year in October and we have a, a very small team first because this is important for us to, to move forward instead of having a big group. So it was uh, really, really helpful to have a small group because we could move very fast and complete different steps and milestones. Finally, in June, we could uh, uh, complete the first phase with the prototype for different tests. And in the beginning of the year, we are starting with the second phase for uh, um, further investigations. And how does it look like the next phase of the project is we also need to simulate new digital assets like non-fungible tokens or DeFi. These are uh, assets and they are occurring at the market at the moment. And this is also important for us as a national bank to look at it in from the technical view, also from the legal view. And of course, we need more legal workshops because it's a very huge topic regarding the legal and also important we have to analyze the business model together with the other participants but this is more for us as a ONB more a participant it, it is more the driver by the commercial banks and the UKB CSD. So this is from a short overview of the project so when you when you you have questions and more details, you can contact me directly. So thank you, Jonas. Perfect. Thank you very much, um, Johannes, for this very interesting presentation on the project you have run about hosts host CBDC. So uh, thank thank you very much. Um, and I would now, um, I mean, we have one mi 10 minutes time more for the panel, which is of course nice because then we can have an even deeper discussion. Um, so yeah, let's let's maybe first start with really introducing all of you properly. I mean, uh, I mean, Johannes, you already have have presented. Um, besides Johannes, we have uh, Mathieu Abor with us, who is Central Bank Digital Currency Experimentation Manager um, for the Bank uh, de France. And then we are really pleased to have uh, Simon Seiter, who is Head of Digital Assets at Haug and Aufhäuser. And last but not least, we have Maximilian Foster, who is co-founder and chief business officers at uh, office, officer at Cash on Letter. So really, really happy to have you all. And thank you very much for uh, joining our event. So to kick off the panel, we have um, kind of, yeah, kind of separated the questions into two main blocks. So the first one is really more focusing on the digital asset dimension. And the second one is then um, focusing more on the payment rail and how assets and, and payments can be brought together. And what we see today is that digital assets are, of course, more and more digitized, but not that also more and more broad to decentralized infrastructures, such as blockchains, right? So, for example, in Germany, and we do see that there is now a regulatory framework that allows blockchain-based financial assets. Um, and here to, to start, um, I would ask you the, the question maybe to um, ask you, uh, Simon, first. 
Um, we have heard from Johannes that there are some good reasons for using blockchains in the context of financial assets, right? So be it like more efficient settlements that you don't have these system breaks when you go into different payment infrastructures. But besides that, what would you think, uh, would you say are the main advantages of using a DLT for digital assets? I think the main advantage is actually that you do a general step forward in terms of the technology from moving from digital processes to digital products. And what this enables are completely new business models that we partially cannot foresee yet. So if you have, well, have asked, uh, like, what is the advantage of the internet while writing emails compared to letters back in the beginning of 90s, people would have said you can send it faster and cheaper. And we have here similar argumentation, I think, on the DLT side. People would say today, How would you treat digital securities compared to regular securities? They are faster and cheaper. It's uh, basically the very same argumentation. Um, and it's true, by the way. And even that would justify to go into the direction of distributed systems for capital markets. Um, however, the true benefit of the technology comes with enabling completely new business models. And uh, We lack currently the creativity, I guess, yeah, to anticipate what kind of models that might, they might come. I personally have some ideas. Think of uh, really securitizing the need for refinancing the production of a single car based on the data that you have in a data warehouse, for example. The data is already there. You just have to leverage it. Thereby, you're closing the gap between refinancing and financing to literally zero, reducing risk, Uh, increasing efficiency and uh, making possible to really bring an individual production of a car as a debt product to the capital market. It might be a, a stupid vision, but it's just one idea to show in which direction we can we can run. And this is only possible due to the uh, product being digital, not the process being digital. And uh, what is kind of interesting, I guess, is that we see that we move more into the direction of processes than if we... Um, use these digital assets, uh, similar to when we used to uh, transfer physical really securities and not just digital accounts of, of physical securities, but just in a, in a much more efficient way. So uh, um, if you look at, again, business models on the internet, like Twitter, Twitter is really like shouting short messages at each other. If you see especially like long Twitter threads, this is a communication that you used to have uh, like more in person that you wouldn't have done via a letter or an email. Yeah? And digitization of the letter went to the email, basically, but the whole potential was then ultimately WhatsApp, Twitter, whatsoever, with a completely new style and way of communicating. And I guess it will be similar in the financial landscape and maybe even beyond with digital assets. It's really interesting what you're saying, Simon. So that it's, of course, not just efficiency gains and risk, which is definitely an, a key uh, yeah, component and I think also drives the central banks, but that it's also like envisioning, and I really like the example you made, um, Simon, with like the, the, the letter and the email, right, to also enable um, novel business models. Some of them we know today, right, but some of them we do not even know today because they are just so revolutionary. So maybe, Mathieu, um, you were also working on, um, on, on this related uh, topic, right, and, and digital assets. Do you think, uh, do you have anything to add here, or do you think this were the main aspects um, for why assets could or should be um, issued on DLTs? 
Thank you, Jonas, and uh, I'm really happy that uh, we we all on on that panel. I think uh, it's a very trendy topic, and uh, everybody's talking about CBDCs and digitization of assets. So, I would say from my point of view, I would look at it from two different angles. Um, one is a financial asset being a security, and the other one is financial assets as being a currency. Um, so if you look at securities or bonds, um, we see one of the advantage of the DLT as being a potential a unique golden source um, that would improve the efficiency and the functioning of the uh, financial markets. And this has been highlighted by Johannes in his presentation. It would also it would remove or at least shorten uh, the reconciliation process. Um, and it could also offer um, a marketplace for non-listed assets, for example. And that, that goes probably more towards what uh, Simon was saying. Um, we saw also as part of the um, experiments that we did at Banque de France that it could contribute to uh, reshaping some of the um, aspects of the uh, of the markets, notably in the fund industry, where we have asset managers um, who could be in a position to uh, monitor the retrocession fees and skip some of the intermediaries. So we, we know that so there are many intermediaries and we know that uh, the DLT uh, is, is definitely there to facilitate uh, the uh, removal of some of the uh, low value added or no value added um, participants in the market. Um, so we, we've seen that the financial industry places very high hopes in, the, uh, in this technology, uh, basically to strengthen the life cycle of, a, of an asset from the uh, issuance to its maturity and remove potentially uh, operational risk and costs. And I'm thinking essentially of the corporate action space where, um, you know, by um, typing the, 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 the comma at the wrong space, uh, you can create uh, financial losses which can be quite significant either for the issuer or for the beneficiary. So corporate action is definitely an area of, uh, of improvement. On a more down-to-earth um, side, I, I would say that um, digitization of, of assets can give access uh, to the man on the street to some assets that currently were the privilege of some of the uh, wealthy uh, people who can use the, the the services of a private bank or, a, or or an asset manager. So there is a an element of financial inclusion in the uh, in the development of um, of DLT and digitization of assets. And I think this is even more true for for currencies. And this is the uh, the the second uh, type of asset that I wanted to to talk about. And I'm thinking about cross border and cross currency payments. Um, I think every other day now you have a, a webinar on that topic or a, or, or a firm offering a, um, handouts payment services. So um, it's huge scrutiny um, and we've seen the inefficiencies and we know of the inefficiencies once again because of the number of intermediaries that can uh, that, that interact in, that, um, in those cross-border payments as well as the huge costs that are borne by the ones who are actually most in need, because we know that it's people sending money back to their home countries, and they, they experience fees uh, north of uh, 6 to 8%, which is massive, uh, sometimes even closer to 10% of the nominal amount going uh, in the pocket of, of some uh, firms who, who manage that process today. Um, so the DLT, based technology, uh, we know and we've experienced it in, in some of the um, um, experiments that we run at Banque de France can facilitate cross-border payments uh, by significantly reducing the number of, um, of intermediaries and also uh, waiving the cost. So for us, four big advantages, financial inclusion, efficiencies, security, and cost reduction.
Thank you, Matthew, for sharing these insights. I think this really build, um, building on what, what Simon said, this is really a, a tremendous um, amount. And maybe another anecdote to date, I just sent actually one, uh, one euro to South Africa, which was just for trying purposes, and it's really not representative, so I will mention that. But I wanted to send one euro, then I had one euro fees, and at the bank of my counterparty, 99 cent was uh, was the fee. So I sent, I paid two euro, and in the end, it was one cent. So of course, I know this is not representative at all. But uh, I, today, I really struggled with this, uh, with these cross well, uh, cross border payments. <laughs> you see, that's 99 percent of fees then. So there are efficiencies available. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, but this this just on the side. Um, so maybe turning to you, Max, um, next, um, what I would like to focus on now is the, the digitalization and decentralization we just discussed is really ongoing in lots of countries. And I mean, I, I mainly see this in Germany and, and maybe also getting your view, Max, what do you think about these kind of digitalization and decentralization of financial assets in Germany? Do you think like this is heavily ongoing? Do you think we are just uh, just beginning or what's your, your um, kind of feeling about the momentum that, that's currently going on when... Uh, uh, yeah, decentralizing kind of uh, or tokenizing financial assets. Well, thanks a lot for the question, Jonas. I know you were like brought on the topic because ultimately what we see currently in industry is like a convergence between the industry itself and financial services. So both of them are coming more and more closely together. Uh, why is that? Uh, ultimately, because we create a lot of data. Like if you think about normal assets, just as vehicles or tractors or anything which is actually out there, like as mechanical engineering companies, like even having machines, like they produce tons of data, like setabytes of data is out there. And what ultimately happens is that most of the companies start then start to ask themselves the question, what do we actually do with the data? Like how can we actually transform this data into financial streams? And how do we actually create out of this whole IoT data, ultimately financial streams on the one hand side, which is payments, uh, so you get actually like money out of the machines directly. And on the other hand side, obviously also like about the refinancing topic. So what we create currently and like what uh, the whole cryptocurrency topic started in 2017 with Bitcoin is actually like the, the need uh, for a new financial asset and digital asset classes where you have like just commodity goods as for example, a tractor or a machine, a mechanic engineering company just producing an asset. Like all of these assets basically um, becoming digital, getting a digital twin, a financial digital twin. So transform these assets from a real asset to a financial asset and then make it investable. And this is like basically what we currently see in the whole industry because everybody's shaping around new business models. Why? Because the customer just simply asks for it. If you think about like um, car sharing examples, like this is the best example we see in the last years. where you can actually see that people are not willing to invest 30,000 euros into an asset like a car, but they rather want to invest into mobility. So they want to have the function of the asset instead of the asset itself. And that actually like has a vast uh, and a vast uh, impact on how you actually think about financial services. Because ultimately, if the car is not sold anymore, you don't have this one of payment, you don't have the classical credit and loan structure, but what you rather have is a reshaping of the whole financial value chain. And with that, you basically create an entirely new kind of like asset class. And this is what we currently see, like, you know, across industries. So it's not only mechanic engineering, it's also med tech companies thinking about these processes because they're heavily expensive, as well as classic mechanical engineering companies. And we particularly see that in Europe because we are asset heavy strong. We have, we have a lot of OEMs, which are particularly sitting in Europe. And with that, like, you know, basis, like there's a lot of momentum currently going on. And like paper use business models, asset as a service business models, all of them are on a rise. And you see on a daily basis, more and more like uh, notifications coming up, like uh, ultimately where you have um, people thinking about, hey, how can we actually reshape the classical distribution process of our machines? 
what comes next is ultimately um, we also need to think about like tokenization as a technology. So we need to have like smart assets in the very beginning. So we need to fetch the data, we need to analyze the data and also think about in classical structures such as special purpose vehicles and all the legal basis, regulatory compliant basis to then ultimately use tokenization as one of the means how you can actually transfer it more easy, more secure, just heard all the arguments between two parties and create a peer-to-peer place. But ultimately you also need to think about like how do you actually legally uh, make these assets investable and actually tradable. And I think what differs here in regards to regulation, particularly in Germany, is that there is a foundation set, and um, we have like um, yeah, we have basically more assets right now being available. And I'm gonna shed some light on that later on with the SDOs, which are guaranteed possible with the crypto custody law, or even like you know the electronic uh, um, electronic securities, which can be issued for bearer bonds or even like uh, registered bonds. But ultimately, like you know. Um, we have like at least uh, in Germany, like at least a, le- a regulatory framework around that you can actually issue these uh, assets in the first place. But nevertheless, you need to think about to take step by step. And the first step is to basically take the data from all of the machines and transform these data into financial data. They actually provide the basis for later on, like more efficient trading structures with the DLT. But ultimately, like in the first place, that you actually like create digital assets in that sense and digital assets like real, make real assets transform them into financial assets. Thank Max. And, and maybe a similar question to you, Johannes. What do you think from an Austrian perspective? So where are you in the cycle of decentralizing financial assets? And maybe also building on like the second question, I think you analyze this also in your Delphi project, but how's the legal situation? So it is, is it as clear as it seems to be in Germany or is it a different situation in Austria? In Austria, from our point of view, it's, it's not so clear at the moment. So it, we are still on, it's an ongoing process, but what we can see, there were a lot of companies, startups working on that already and with their products and ideas. So, but I think from the legal side, it will need more investigations, but it's, I think it's in Germany and other countries, they are further or Switzerland, well, comparing the German spoken countries or Liechtenstein, I think Austria, we, we are not so far at the moment. It's okay. my point of view. Yeah, maybe Mathieu, to, to compare this to the French uh, situation, what do you think how this is in, in France? Um, there aren't many uh, areas where France is ahead of, of the others, but uh, <laughs> here I have a couple. Um, f- first of all, we, we started dematerialization of, uh, of assets and securities back in the, uh, in the 1980s. So almost 40 years ago, uh, most of the uh, financial markets in France were de- dematerialized. Um, and for this reason, uh, there is a, a feeling, I would say, that we are already uh, digitalized uh, in, in a way, but it doesn't stop um, the, um, the, the market and the investment community for, from uh, strongly um, looking into it. So we've spoken to uh, uh, wealth managers, asset managers, custodians, and the, the appetite definitely is there. Um, and it goes way beyond uh, curiosity and we we see initiatives popping up everywhere um so we believe that digital oh sorry i'm struggling with that all digitalization is here to stay um and also uh, decentralized finance when you look at the uh, uh, total load value it's it's grown uh, fivefold just in uh, in the last 12 months so um it, it's a no brainer to 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 
believe that it will carry on, uh, keep on growing. And now we, we see a, a situation where the, uh, the offer for services is now finding the demand as well. So the, the, the interest of, of the market, the interest of the individual, they are matching. Um, so we, we see very strong growth of, uh, of independent uh, or, or banked based um, packed sorry firms like uh, uh, Isness, Dequitcher or SG Forge in France and these are firms that partnered with Banque de France in the experiment um, to to um, to highlight the benefits of uh, of digital assets as well as um, a, a wholesale CBDC. Now the secondary uh, where uh, France was probably ahead is the uh, in terms of uh, of legal framework uh, because back in um, in 2019 uh, France was one of the first country to uh, to implement a legal framework with the loi pacte the pacte legislation uh, which covers providers of crypto asset services as well as um, uh, so uh, people who, who offer exchanges or, or, or wallets, but also initial coin offering. And um, in a nutshell, that legislation requires that uh, those providers register with the uh, French regulator and are approved by the French regulator with a specific focus on um, AML, so anti-money laundering, and um, financing uh, of terrorist activities as well. Um, so the, the legal framework, I would say, um, is uh, is in infancy um no later than uh, on tuesday i think we had in the uh, french newspaper les echo an interview of uh, of the um ECB Vice President uh, Luis de Grindos, who highlighted concerns around uh, crypto assets, notably in the field of terrorist activities financing and tax evasion. So um, it's definitely a, a focus for central banks and regulators at the moment. And I think everybody knows that um, at a European level, uh, the um, market in crypto active directive, uh, MICA, is currently being discussed. It, it, there was hopes that it would uh, come into uh, uh, force in 2021. It now looks more like a 2022 initiative, um, and it will supersede the uh, local legislations. Uh, it's one of the most advanced regulatory framework when you look, compare it with what's happening in the in the US, in the uh, UK, or or um, China, for instance. I don't know whether we can compare Europe with China, but uh, um, and it will also cover crypto assets issuers and service providers. So, and, and without entering into too much detail, basically, uh, it will establish that MIFID applies to uh, financial assets and financial, sorry, financial instruments that are um, issued on a DLT. And it will distinguish three types of assets. We have the um, asset reference tokens, um, electronic money tokens, and other crypto assets such as the uh, utility tokens. So it's quite comprehensive. Um, and uh, once again, I think probably one of the most advanced regulatory and legal framework. But, but it's really to 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 Johannes' point. Sorry, it's true that legal considerations are still uh, high on the agenda, and uh, we operate almost by the day. So new considerations come into force as we progress in in those uh, projects. So it's um, it's a moving uh, target and a moving landscape. Yeah, but may I comment? Thank you, Mathieu. Uh, so I think it, it's also important to point out the Mika is that security tokens, as far as I know, is not regulated in the Mika, I think, at the moment. Security token, I think. It's only, I think, utility token, yeah. payment token. And the dividing is, line is quite simple. Yeah. Uh, the dividing line is the MIFID 2 definition of financial. Yeah. financial Everything exactly. that MIFID two financial instrument is not within MICA, but within the DLT uh, regula uh, regulation on distributed market infrastructure. Yeah, 
um, and everything what is not a MIFID instrument is in within um, uh, within Mika. And of course, every MIFID instrument is also MIFID, uh, to, to state the obvious. <laughs> so you can also make um, MIFID-compliant DLT uh, securities, by the way. The issue with the term security token, as I would guess, is that some of them were exactly uh, made, like, tailored uh, uh, in a way that they do not fall under uh, at least some national definitions of security law. Uh, or even in Germany, for example, you have four, I guess, unharmonized definitions of a security, depending on which kind of law you're looking at. And so there were some uh, security tokens that were falling like within one perspective, legal perspective, uh, under the security, and within another, they didn't. Yeah, this was exactly the case with the so-called German Schuldverschreibung. And um, this is, of course, uh, a financial product that's made uh, to be targeted to a gray space. Uh, and I would say with Mika, uh, as a like of bucket regulation, everything falling inside, and if not, then going the other direction, you create, you, you eliminate these gray spaces. Similarly in Germany, for example, with the German Act on Electronic Securities. Um, and, and for that reason, I would say it depends on how the, the security token is being made but the buckets can be divided by the line of MIFID II definition of financial instrument. But what's, what's really interesting, what we see, um, also Simon, Jonas, and Mathieu, is that, I mean, there are, of course, legal questions, but it emerges quite quite quickly, right? So that we see where uncertainty is, is kind of decreasing um, across the bench, basically. And um, also we see that more and more companies adopt this, right? Um, so maybe also to having like the last questions around this digital assets block before we, of course, also turn to the digital euro. And uh, maybe, uh, again, uh, handing over to you, Simon, and afterwards, maybe Max, um, which other um, assets would you like kind of bring on a DLT. So we talked about the advantages of why it can make sense to use a DLT for, for, dig, for digital and financial assets. But which assets do you think are like most, um, yeah, kind of uh, most obvious, I would say, um, from a benef benefit perspective to bring on a DLT? I mean, already like already having started um, with um, the, the explanation, like what I think what we have been seeing is like this run-up curve. When you started with uh, cryptocurrencies, like you know, first form of digital investments, then later on going on about NFTs. I think everybody knows right now about the non-fungible tokens and the, the crazy market which is currently evolving. And what we see as the third stage is just like um, commodity goods being like you know digitized in a sense. What is always important is as what I was just outlining is that you first of all make the assets smart, but ultimately like in a in a later stage like you know basically every asset which can be digitized in a form that you actually can retrieve data in any kind of form from this asset itself, you can basically you know link to financial uh, transactions and ultimately you can make it to uh, you can transform it into a financial asset. So what I want to say with that is I, I wouldn't even like, you know, kind of try to uh, nail it down to the several industries, because I would say even uh, like any asset which is going to produce like in hardware in hardware form, so which is in real asset, like a vehicle, like a machine or like a medtech product in any sense can be ultimately like digitized in the first in the first uh, sense. So you basically get the data, fetch the data from it then basically create payments out of it. So if somebody's using it, pay-per-use, for example, you can do uh, ultimately you know, payments with it. And then you transform it with that historical data, which you just basically get per asset. You can then transform it into like you know, a more uh, transparent asset, a financial asset in that sense, and make it investable ultimately. Because what you do is you mitigate the risk on an even better basis than what you have today 
because if you compare it to normal leasing models, like um, if you have like a car leaving the space and like uh, leaving the leasing company, you ultimately don't know what happens. And after a certain con certain amount of time, like let's say five years, it comes back and you have no idea what happened to it. Like with the data transparency, you actually know exactly what you have earned, what it cost, and basically what is the residual value of this asset. And with that information, you basically have the baseline just mentioning the baseline of like, you know, a financial product, and then you can go more into depth. And obviously, the more data you have, the more advanced you can actually like, you know, go um, with the securitization. And then obviously, like, you know, you can basically make any asset digital. And then you can also think about like, you know, what we just uh, have been discussing, how do you actually like, uh, from a technology perspective, send the asset from point A to point B. And that's like, you know, then the discussion where DLTs make more than sense. And we can should actually like you know then experience like uh, digital assets or see digital assets on a DLT infrastructure. Thank Max, and maybe also to you as, as Simon because you are also kind of very deep into this digital asset space for quite some years. Um, what do you think? Maybe besides the financial context, and what do you think is like the next step of, of tokenization? Like which assets um, to put on the chain next? I don't know which assets uh, to be honest. Uh, I think the next step is uh, further lifecycle management. Uh, to be honest. Because currently we are only talking at largest extent uh, of investment opportunities. Where I personally would say interesting, of course, but we will very often fall into that bucket of securities if we are talking about transferring ownership in whatever kind of medium, because that's the purpose of security ultimately. Um, so if you're not transferring the asset itself, right? For an NFT, this could be really different, by the way, because the NFT is actually the asset. So that's like delivering a package rather than, than, than sending a security for a token that represents pieces of art, even though they seem to be non-fungible, like faking it while doing uh, tokenizing pixels or whatsoever. Uh, this is not really like uh, sending the picture. Uh, the NFT can really be sent directly. The true NFT, the tokenization of uh, physical assets is for me very close to uh, securitization. Uh, and what I do I mean with lifecycle management? I mean, uh, uh, if you start really producing truly digital assets, and this is then beyond art or game tokens or whatsoever, but really assets that are currently living in a digital environment already or an electronic environment, like a bill, yeah? Producing a bill as a digital asset on the blockchain, providing it with a lifecycle, You can really trigger events like being paid. If not, then you go into the process of telling the people to pay. Yeah, That whole stuff is being done currently at large extent manually, which uh, is incredible if you think about it. Yeah, And this is only as well one example that I can give, uh, not, not uh, many others, which I like the personally the creativity to express them. Um, but just looking from that direction, I mean, this managing the life cycle of these financial assets that are already there in the market that could be digitized and then even further other assets that are already kind of electronic or, or digital, uh, this will really decrease manual processes uh, extensively, especially if you look at what currently, how many people and organizations are still managing the synchronization of information within one or even across many institutions. The DLT in general has the ability, like the internet in general had the ability to do a lot, even though we didn't even yet discover full potential. Yeah, but, but similarly, the DLT has the potential, of course, to reduce these efforts yeah, where information synchronization 
and exchange beyond organization is already being done by people today. What this will lead to is, to be fair, that these jobs will not be there anymore. So we have to think about uh, what kind of uh, a purpose and, and, and uh, work we can provide there. Yeah? But, I mean, we know already to some extent that these jobs are in some way not really uh, jobs that, that need the highest uh, here analytical powers. Yeah? If you, for example, scan um, um, bills, yeah? that is something that's not really that uh, extensively analytical. Yeah, and these tasks and the lifecycle management that the people currently do, like putting it into an SAP system and stuff like that, but Max can tell you much more than, than me. This is something that, out of my perspective, is the next step of the development. Thanks, Simon. Yeah, I think this kind of automation you also explained was really also something which is really, really important in this context of um, blockchain-based assets. So we really talked about like efficiency gains and risk mitigation, right? New news cases um, and also then these automation you just described, Simon. So I think this is really a good um, a really good uh, kind of uh, a summary on this first block. So now turning to, to the digital euro, um, because I think this is also what is very important, not just have like the asset lag um, kind of on-chain, um, then also like to have the, the cash lag, so the payment um, on-chain. And here I would like to start with the first question um, to, to you, Johannes, again. Um, like how does a blockchain, I mean, you kind of address this uh, like roughly in your presentation, but how does a blockchain-based kind of digital euro, I mean, assuming now we label this digital euro, right? Even if you explain in the presentation, this is not what the ECB talks about. So like a, a wholesale DLT-based euro, let's maybe call it like that. Um, how does it uh, support the digit digitization of financial assets? And also is like such a blockchain-based euro like necessary for the future of the settlement of digital assets? So what? So in that case, what we did is we have uh, on one hand the asset itself on the chain, and we have also the 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 the, the whole CBDC token on the same chain because it should be on the same platform. So we don't have system breaks. And the second question is: if it, is it necessary? I I would answer: is it more necessary to make the settlement cycle more efficient? It. If we really need the whole CBDC, I think this question is difficult to answer because at the moment we have so many uh, national banks in the world experimenting with uh, the CBDC for wholesale or retail. And still, I think there are also some national banks, they are using alternative technology using that. So I think it's quite early to say, of course, I must admit that with CBDC, we can gain uh, efficiency, but is also to see, is there also alternative methods for that also to compare it yeah? and, and also the costs and what the new risk could occur. So I would say necessary is more to make the settlement cycle more efficient is more necessary, but independently of the technology or a CBDC, I think. So this is, this is my, my opinion. Yeah, thanks. Thanks to Johannes for sharing the insight. Maybe again to you, Mathieu, what are the insights from like kind of the projects you um, were also involved with? Um, yeah. Um, yeah, we, we run um, and we're still running some experiments at Banque de France. So uh, uh, seven are, are fully completed. Um, and it's true to, that the point was quite similar to what happened in the um, Australian central banks. The idea was to uh, uh, use central bank digital currency in order to settle financial transactions uh, of digital assets as well. So. Um, 
I was going to conclude <laughs> this point by saying, if it's not broken, don't fix it. And it's true that the financial markets today are working well. Um, they are uh, strong platforms, strong infrastructures. Um, and um, sometimes, you know, you hear people say that uh, uh, the DLT uh, is trying to find a, a, a problem, is, is a solution looking for a problem. Um, now, Things are happening, right? The the the, the digitization digitalization of, of financial assets is happening, and uh, the conversation that we had with the uh, market participants, which were uh, banks, central banks, custodians, asset managers, asset owners, they all indicate and um, strongly push for um, a cash payment asset on the ledger to settle the uh, the the. the security side of the transaction which is also on the ledger and notably for to, to benefit from smart contract programmability for example and uh, to, to go back to what Johannes was saying it's true that uh, the idea it, that it would create a coherent uh, but essentially efficient ecosystem uh, of uh, of digital assets so with respect to the the case for a digital euro uh, we hear a lot about stable coins as well, and uh, it's seen as a, as an option. I would say, in the absence of the uh, existence of a, of a CBDC, but they are considered to be sub suboptimal and more risky. Um, I think there is sufficient literature in the market at the moment around the uh, tether to to be concerned uh, with the systematic risk that such a, a, a so-called stable coin could create um, and I would say in addition the, the uh, wide and wild as well uh, dissemination of, of crypto assets as means of payment or, or and settlement uh, could challenge the monetary stability monetary sover sovereignty um, of, of central banks and ultimately the financial stability as well um, I think this hence supports the the uh, rationale for a CBDC uh, issued by a, by a central bank which would complement and uh, it was also highlighted by, by Johannes in, in his presentation of the Delphi project. It complements the existing form of central bank uh, money, which exists today uh, in Target 2. So um, I think there is a business case. There is demand in the market, uh, but it will have to coexist indeed with the existing infrastructures, which today operate well and support the good functioning of financial markets. Thanks, Mathieu. I think you really uh, talked about very important aspects as well, right? You mentioned stable coins and you also mentioned programmability. So, of course, there are also other advantages of like bringing the asset and the cash like uh, kind of on chain besides this, this settlement thing, but more also the programmability thing also Simon talked about when he talked about automation. Um, so here maybe turning um, again to, to Simon and afterwards again to Max. Um, Simon, what, what would you think? Like if, if we just see that there is kind of a need for such, such a, let's call it blockchain-based um, euro somehow, right? And do you think that this is something the central bank should provide? So meaning, for example, wholesale CBC, what Johannes and Mathieu explained, or do you think that it was also would also be sufficient if we see some private sector um, institutions issuing this? So this could of, could of course be stable coins. This could be bringing commercial bank money on chain, right? This could be e-money on chain. Um, what would you think here? Who, who should who should take the lead, kind of? Difficult question indeed. Uh, I think everybody should take the lead. Yeah, that's something that people rarely do. Uh, the smart follower isn't that smart at all. Um, and uh, I personally think uh, that um, there is a huge, and saying this currently again, coming from a private bank, where now it could be my task actually, 
sometimes not so easy, uh, depending on what your current business is. Um, but I personally think that private banks are in a very good position to issue a digital euro themselves. And I've personally done this, already uh, uh, um, signed off internally 2018 at Commerce Bank and used in the first transaction in 2019, beginning of 2019, um, with a security transaction where we issued a private bank, like a commercial bank digital euro, um, and we used it then afterwards for several projects, for a settlement of a security, uh, for the payment of an electronic truck, and uh, for the um, payment and execution of uh, exchanging bills and bookings between chemical companies. Um, so we already showed, of course, in a test stage, but really productive and live and with the banking license of Commerce Bank at risk, that it's possible for a private bank to issue a commercial bank uh, digital euros, basically. The question, of course, here is, how do you receive then an interoperability yeah, between the banks? So what we do lack is something like a network uh, that we have for the current electronic um, commercial bank money. So um, customer doesn't see that he's owning as a commerce bank client, commerce bank bank account money. And if he's transferring it to Deutsche Bank, then he doesn't see that actually Deutsche Bank and commerce bank in the background, exchanged basically their commercial bank money with each other. They just see the euro. Similarly, we do need a digital euro and then not a commerce bank euro, Deutsche Bank euro whatsoever. So you need a kind of settlement network, similar as you have currently within something like the SEPA network. Yeah, you need something similar for for the for the digital euro. But in fact, I mean, 80% uh, of the people's money transfers are taking place in commercial bank money. So I would, in general, assume, of course, one could argue that a, a digital euro that is like a, a more uh, a pr privately used digital euro, like a cash replacement, could be used more often and thereby increasing the percentage of cash being used, actually. But in general, I think um, uh, the commercial bank money will be the predominant way of payment, even in the digital world. And so you could basically put 80% of the uh, cash management on a digital platform without the central bank moving at all. However, of course, the clients, uh, the, um, the banks being clients of the central bank, a network similarly at the central bank as currently also is, with Target 2, for example, that is living on a DLT, could leverage extensively the exchange of individual commercial bank money between the different commercial banks. And for that reason, even though uh, it only is a smaller portion of the cash management. Uh, central bank digital currencies could be a trigger for commercial bank digital currencies. However, for the commercial banks, it could already be possible to, to issue them. There's no real obstacle like drawing them back besides processes and risk. Thanks, Simon. Um, what we also do in the uh, see in the private sector, maybe then handing over to you, Max, is that um, besides like bringing like the, the euro on chain natively, so via stable coins, tokenizing commercial bank money, what Simon said, that you could also use a, a so-called trigger solution, right? So, um, for example, um, as the Bundesbank has experienced with, with this, for example, but also other players, of course, so that you kind of link 
um, currently existing payment systems with DLTs, right? So that are ki kind of synchronized or that they at least um, kind of trigger, that's why it's called trigger solution, trigger some payments um, then, um, but, or that are triggered on chain are then executed with conventional payment methods. Um, maybe here the question to you, Max, what do you think about such, uh, such trigger solutions? Do they really like solve the problems that we currently have and that blockchain could fix in this context or would you prefer other uh, solutions here? Well, uh, thanks for the for the question, Jonas. Like to start off with, again, like you know, between the CBDC discussion and programmatic payment flows, I would also see the the same way as Simon does. So basically, what you have here is like I think two different design principles which need to be followed. Like a central bank digital currency has utterly uh, different design principles which they need to follow than like programmatic payment streams from commercial bank monies. So ultimately, this is like uh, two kinds of uh, different systems, I would even say, like who can build uh, simultaneously or like sequentially, but do not depend on each other. So I see actually like, you know, these two streams where you have like on the one hand side CBDC, and then on the other hand side, you basically have a programmable uh, payment uh, um, variant of uh, um, commercial bank money in that sense. So if you have a look at like more the commercial bank money side, like what what do you, what options do we have? You basically have the option of like putting the euro there and like just create like you know euro on chain and then like you know transfer it between the different banks, or we have like as you just outlined the solution of trigger solutions of programmatic payment streams, and for that very reason I think what is essential here is that you actually have like standardization of fungibility between the banks as just Simon as he just outlined because ultimately. Like commercial banks uh, are there for like you know providing a solution for the industry and for private markets. So this certainly not be a task of uh, central banks and um, public authorities. It should rather be like a task for uh, private banks themselves. And trigger solutions can and will be a very um, very good way in experiencing with the technology ultimately, because what you do is like you link the old system, like the old payment gateways, and you just have normal settlements in euro with a new blockchain um, technology. And with that, you basically create first experiences in that. And later on, you can actually decide like how you will actually deploy these systems and how you will actually use basically the different programmatic uh, stream, uh, schemes and how you actually implement it. Why do I say it? If you come from industry perspective and to share a little bit or to shed a little bit of light on like where the industry currently stands, is if you think about the process, Simon also just outlined with the ERP systems, invoicing, billing, this is all topics you need to take care of because if you think about the asset, let's take a tractor, for example, and you have this tractor and you want to like paper use this tractor. So you want to lend it out and paper use uh, the bills back, um, basically, and like, you know, have a settlement ultimately. What needs to happen is that you retrieve the IoT data, transform this IoT data in payment streams. So you automatically know who owns what. So basically that like um, a user of this tractor, so a farmer owes, for example, the OEM 50 euros. So he created a bill. This bill must be regulatory compliant as an invoice. Ultimately, also this bill must be integrated in ERP systems because you don't want to like change the whole ERP infrastructure. You basically want to have an external system which is then just implemented. So this small step which I just explained is utterly complicated because like we have different functions, like there's different ways and different like, IoT data which we can just like basically deploy there. And then what happens is once you created this bill and everything else like you know is systemly is in the system integrated, everything is fine. Then you start thinking about payments. What you currently have is like the EBIX payments, particularly for um, commercial banks and like uh, for commercial business accounts. And that's it. So you have an EBIX interface, which you can just like onboard and then you can send money from point A to point B, which is very manual in a sense. So you need to have an automation here. So you have first like new concepts, request to pay by November 2022, which is actually like, you know, first kind of step towards automation. But the ultimate point is here that you also need to think about other like directly automated payment flows here. 
And if you think this use case further, I think about the tractor again, you have a third party being involved in the same system. So you basically have a tractor user, he has a flat tire and you have an insurance company insuring exactly that use case. So ultimately you create a liability from the insurance company towards the owner, so the OEM, as well as the user. So you need to have like a shift in the payment scheme. So you need to have the programmatic payment scheme not only one direction, we have the user paying for the tractor all the time, but they also need to go vice versa. We have like an insurance company paying the OEM and paying like uh, the user of the tractor. And for that reason, like this is very manual process currently. So you basically need to write emails and basically then send the money back. And you might even need some uh, insurance people like checking if the tractor really has a flat tire. Ultimately, if you can put that data on a blockchain and like, you know, start thinking about, hey, we have a smart contract triggering executive function that there's a flat tire. And with that flat tire, we need to like shift the payment stream from the insurance company then to the OEM and the user. But that like, you know, execution and like event, which is triggering, you can then automatically think about programmatic payment streams. What you need there in the first instance is as you just out then a trigger solution, because ultimately everybody wants to see euros uh, basically being transferred between the bank accounts. If they're later on replaced with a euro, which is executed on a DLT, which the end consumer doesn't see, is basically something which can be discussed, which also needs to be like looked at, but once we arrive at this stage. So that's why I'm saying trigger solutions are a very good first step in taking these experiences and gathering experiences for private banks in order to know what the industry actually needs. Because nobody like is helped in a sense that if you just build like a you know, commercial bank euro uh, and then transfer between point A and point B, if there is no use case, which is actually like supporting the whole concept of this uh, of the digital, of the programmable euro in that sense on commercial bank money level. So with that explanation, I, I hope I made clear that you need to like focus also on industrial needs on that end and you actually see if there are viable use cases out there who can actually then also use the program of Euro. Otherwise, you just created like a new financial instrument which will never be used and which ultimately doesn't bring any kind of like a value to the existing uh, payment infrastructure. Thank you, Max, for sharing your insights here. And um, maybe as a last question to all of you before we go into the, the Q&A, I mean, time really flies. Um, maybe I, I would ask you to really respond quick, so maybe 30 seconds. And this is, I, I would say, like a little bit of a view or an outlook into the future. Um, so what do you think? Where do, where do we are in five? Where are we in five years um, when it comes to the euro on a blockchain? So do you think we might see some kind of a host of CBDC? We have great euro stable coins. We have banks that have brought this on chain or maybe nothing because it will be the US dollar or the digital the, the Chinese currency I would be very curious so what maybe to each of you uh, starting with you Mathieu um, for example and um, what do you think where do we stand in five years regarding a blockchain based euro generally maybe also independently from the retail CBDC the ECB discuss um, well, I think I'm, uh, hopefully I will give the same answer as Johannes because we, we both work for central banks. So um, I, I think the agenda has been set quite clearly by the ECB uh, back on the 14th of July when they announced the uh, uh, launch of the investigation phase for the uh, digital euro, uh, which is primarily focusing on uh, retail usage. Um, now, I think, uh, you know, that there is one euro, whether it's retail uh, wholesale, but the focus today is on the retail side. Uh, obviously, at Banque de France, we've been working on experiments to demonstrate the benefits of a wholesale uh, euro CBDC as well. And we hope that uh, this will be given further consideration as well. Thanks, Mathieu. Maybe continuing with uh, Johannes? Yeah, thank you. So, uh, as I say, also for, for us, for me, so in my department, we are focusing on the wholesale side. So we, we also hope that we will get more progress on this side, but in five years, it's, it's quite difficult to say because 
maybe in in some years there may be some new technology will occur or uh it, it depends so i think it's really hard to say where we are in five years i i hope we will get more progress in this context simon what do you think in five years uh we will have um 40 percent of the general cash flow being managed on a dlt That's a really clear answer. And uh, we will definitely talk again and maybe in four <laughs> years, Simon, to see if this is valid. Five. <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, okay. <laughs> Good. Then in five years. Uh, thanks. The thanks, last Simon. one is important S curved adoption, you know? Yeah. Okay. Then not four, but really five. Okay. I will mark it in my calendar. Thanks. <laughs> and maybe last but not least, Max, uh, what do you think? Um, so basically, I think it's uh, a, a not really like a definable question in the sense that you, you, we actually won't know where we stand in five years. The point is like, you know, from my estimation perspective, it really depends on like how fast the industry is taking it up and like um, if you separate between the two streams. So what I definitely see is like the need for a CBDC in a sense that mustn't directly be deployed on a DLT. But there will be one form which is an interoperable offline availability and like there's a lot of things which are then taken into account and there will be like another you know, first prototypes out there definitely which are actually used and like used in variety because like once uh, china is deploying theirs like you know other central banks will follow from a private sector perspective it largely depends also on the industry so if you have like you know large uh, automotive or manufacturing companies like taking care of like focusing on dlt infrastructures then it will ultimately also be a payment means and like you know a settlement means like on a dlt basis so it really really depends on like you know, the convergence which was the very beginning of my statement on the convergence of the industry and the financial services how fast they will actually come together how fast they actually create combined products And how fast do we actually like you know with that transform the industry as we know them today and obviously like you know even new business models and with that like we'd actually also see like you know new forms of payments and like you know more efficient payment streams whether it be on a dlt or not perfect thank you very much um max and also all of you for this uh, for this insights regarding the last question um we are actually also almost out of out of time and i'm happy to go into the q a for the next uh, 18 minutes so that we finish on time so thanks again to, to all of you for the insights both from the public and private sector i really um, found this very insightful and i think and this is also what we at the day stand for to bring public and private sector people to the table because i mean this is topics that i mean it's, it's like a, it should be interesting for all of us right and it should not just be one party or the other doing it but it's definitely a working hand in hand um, what I'm now doing, I uh, just uh, share my screen with a Slido and here again to the audience, if you have any questions to our excellent uh, panelists here, please go, again go to slido.com and insert the code you see on the left side here. Alternatively, you can also scan the QR code and directly appear here um, when um, asked to insert a question. Um, so please, please feel free to do so and also feel free to upload the question. Also, some of you did, which is really good so that we can start with some good questions. Um, but of course, you are encouraged to continue um, upvoting this. Right. So the first question goes um, to you, Johannes. And here the question is, assuming there would be a policy decision to issue a hostel CBDC. So just assuming this is kind of given, mm -hmm. um, how long would it take to develop a scalable hostel CBDC and launch it to the market? Yeah. So this is a very good question because um, the technology itself is, is one side and it, it's also important to bring all the participants using it uh, because we have so many uh, intermediaries or uh, central security depositories and there are lots of also smaller uh, CSDs also 
beyond the Europe and, and in, in other countries. So bringing together to working on that, I think this step will take longer than that the, 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 the development of the, of, the, of the CBDC itself. So I, I think the technological yeah. side is not the challenge. The challenge is how to bring it on a scalable for, for the using it. Distribution and adoption, okay, interesting. Exactly, distribution and adoption is, the, is more the, the question. And also for, for to meet the legals, because we have different countries and also different legals and laws, how, how to meet it. I think this, these are more the, the, the challenges. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Johannes. Um, the, the second question is um, to, to all of you. So whoever wants to respond, please feel free. And today we also talked about programmable payments, so which is basically payments triggered, for example, by a smart, smart contract. And here the question is related to programmable money. So the general question is, what do you think about the concept of programmable money as in Monday with specific spending conditions attached to it? So what's your attitude towards making money um, programmable so that it can, each, uh, for example, just be spent for specific purposes or that, uh, yeah, kind of their specific spending condition attached to the token and the money itself. Whoever wants to respond to it, please feel free. I can I can jump in then maybe uh, Jonas from a from a wholesale perspective I would say and based on what uh, we've uh, done at the uh, Banque de France experiments um, you know the, the the central bank's mandate uh, includes obviously the uh, uh, not just the issuance of the uh, central bank money, but also um, making sure that it's uh, um, used for for the right reasons. So we did uh, test some cases where uh, the, the the central bank money was programmable in order to be used, for instance, uh, for a specific purpose, which would be uh, uh, the settlement of a bond, a, a DVP on in financial markets, or a, a payment versus payment uh, operation as well. Um, so we, we, um, we, we know that it works. Uh, and uh, this is an aspect of programmable uh, money that we've been testing. Thanks. Thanks, Mathieu. Uh, any, any, anybody, something to add or are you, um, should we continue? Okay. Great. Let me just continue to the next one. Um, and here again, feel free, like everybody who wants, and this is about a DLT and blockchain infrastructure. What about false instructions on DLT or blockchain infrastructures? How can mistakes be solved in a T plus two environment? So basically in immediate settlement. Yeah, I, I can take this one because the answer is quite simple. Uh, not at all. <laughs> That's the whole purpose of the question uh, of, the, of the technology. Um, you can do counter booking if you like to. If the other parties disagrees, you're bad. That's the whole purpose of the DLT, that if you do something on purpose, then it's being done. Yeah. Do, you can sorry, one aspect, yeah. you can try to prevent things like that by implementing processes where more than one person has to justify a transaction. Um, but the transaction itself cannot be undone. That's the whole purpose. Maybe to add up on that, I, I think ultimately this is exactly why um, you sh somebody should think about the trigger solutions again, because this is a way of learning it. Because ultimately, you know, this is problems which will arise. And this is, I, I'm 100% sure this is not the only question, which is like regarding like in final or like atomic execution environment as the DLT environment provides ultimately. Like, you know, this is questions like, you know, which will arise and which we definitely need to answer, which is why this stepwise approach, particularly in commercial bank money, where the DLT trigger solution could be a potential way of learning how to deal with exactly these events. Mm -hmm. 
And if I can add something from the from a wholesale perspective again, because this is where <laughs> the, the area where we've been uh, uh, experiencing uh, the, the wholesale and financial markets operate on on the basis of match transactions so um uh, that that matching process uh, is meant to to uh, carry on uh, at least for now um, and i would don't say that there won't be any false instruction but a false instruction would not match with the uh, unless both parties uh, get it wrong um which uh, is quite unlikely uh, but that that's a way to address it is by keeping those, that notion of matching and confirmation Thanks, Mathieu, and also for, for all the insights you just um, shared. Another question for Johannes is about netting. So what about netting? How did you approach, uh, how did you approach the concept of netting on the DLT? Yes, but uh, this is for us. Netting is the second step. We are starting uh, next year uh, looking at the netting. We have some concepts with smart contract and also um, a step before we we have different concepts for addressing netting is it, it, it we're using the smart contract itself or we can using uh, a step before on a conventional side and only the transaction itself will be uh deployed or will be uh persist on the blockchain so i think there are different ways how how we we, we can we are planning also to address this this, this topic netting mm -hmm. thanks the next one again to, to anybody who wants to respond, um, maybe I missed it, but is a commercial bank digital coin ultimately not a stable coin? Why differentiate it out from any stable coin? Like rather de a definition question. Anybody wants to respond? Otherwise, I'm also happy to <laughs> happy to take it. Um, then, then I just do it. I mean, it it always depends on the definition, right? So if it's a stable coin, it's basically in the crypto space just means it's like a coin which has some mechanism to stabilize the price, right? So you could use um, some backing, um, for example, backing fiat money in the end. Um, you could um, also use it by backing gold. Um, we also do have stable coins. They do not have any physical backing or digital backing, but this is more like an algorithmic stable coins where supply is adjusted. So there are different, uh, there are lots of different ways. Um, and I think it depends on, on terminology. Um, what is a stable coin? Uh, so normally, um, or it, it depends that people differentiate it and say a commercial bank um, is not, bank money is not a stable coin um, because it's, it's um, yeah also not where it initially come from. But there are also people saying that commercial bank money is a stable coin because it's backed with commercial bank money in the end, right? But so this really depends on the um, on on the definition. I would at least uh, say. Great, so let's proceed to the next one. Um, yeah, again, to everybody, which kind of assets can theoretically be tokenized, processed, transferred on DLT platforms? I think we already talked a little about it, but maybe if you want to add some some thoughts on this. Uh, for, for my side, my personal view, I would say everything that has a property transfer can be tokenized. Is this financial or energy? Uh, transfer or energy uh, business or 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 licenses everything that has the property transfer i think can be tokenized is my personal point of view maybe to add here again like i think um Johannes, you entirely be right like uh, you can almost tokenize everything i think the question also must lie like does it make sense to put it on a dlt and under which circumstances does it make sense to put it on a dlt like what do you want to ultimately like achieve 
in like putting uh, an asset uh, in a tokenized form on a DLT? I think this should be the, the specific question because automated has outlined before, if you take just normal assets, like take, let's take a machinery again, Simon already said, and like I'm 100% with him in saying like, uh, normally this is just in the security. And like, you know, the DLT infrastructure just enables you a faster settlement between uh, peer-to-peer trading in the sense that once you have it like in form of a token, and you already established the security and then you have a token, you can basically transact it faster between two persons. And that could be a viable case, could be a viable case. The point here is ultimately that it just really depends on the use case. But um, Max, I don't know whether you would agree, but um, uh, there is no marketplace uh, for uh, um, new new types of assets, new type of digitalized assets. Um, and there is no other marketplace than the DLT because no, no, no financial market would list um, a, a brand, a concept, uh, a, a non-fungible token. So the, the DLT is the, uh, the 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 marketplace for these types of uh, of new assets. Well, ultimately, you're right. Like particularly like for NFTs and uh, bitcoins and like you know cryptocurrencies in that sense. I was rather thinking about like also about real assets. If you really transform like an asset, like as for example a tractor or like even like a fleet management of tractors, like 30 tractors, in form of security. And then put out of the security, you make a token and like transfer this token. And then you ultimately like, created a vehicle and then you can think about like, you know, listing places. But um, ultimately, you're right. I mean, um, for particularly NFTs and particularly like cryptos itself, like, you know, this, you're essentially right. Perfect. Thank you. And another question more from the stablecoin direction. What do you think about um, a stablecoin with an automatic algorithm? So algorithmic stablecoins for issue redemption to act as a settlement crypto token? Here again, maybe question to to every anybody who wants to respond. I mean, it uh, optimizes the risk profile, I would say, of the coin to some extent, um, because you uh, then basically reduce the time frames where you have a breach. Uh, I guess in general, the counterparty risk stays. And the question would be, who issues that coin and under which jurisdiction? Thank you, Simon. And yeah, since we have like, I would say this is like the last question because the only question left with one upvote, which is a very good <laughs> quality assurance here. So um, 24-7 with a target two system might be a big challenge for the whole market. I wonder if connectivity with tips might be a better approach. What is your view on that? So here again, anybody who wants to respond, please feel free to respond. Taking that again, like um, I would say, yes, there could potentially be like a, a problem. Again, think about like uh, where would you need it in that sense. So again, coming from an industry perspective, like you know, settlements is not really an issue because ultimately what you do is like you create a bill or an invoice every two weeks or even like on a monthly basis. So ultimately, a 24/7 like you know settlement process for us, for example, paper use uh, business models is currently not a thing because you don't need real-time transactions for that. Because ultimately, you know, everybody's creating a bill, and a two weeks or a monthly settlement is uh, enough for that. So the question is, like, when do you want to use it for? Great. So thank you very much for taking the last question, Max. Um, yeah, and we are actually also out out of time and out of uh, out of questions as well. So I think this was really good timing. So yeah, now I just really want to thank all of you for um, Max, Johannes, Simon, and Mathieu for being with us today. I think it was a really, really interesting discussion. Thanks for providing your, your insights and, and contributing to the discussion on also blockchain-based 
uh, kind of forms of the euro, um, if you will. So thanks again for, for participating and for uh, taking on and accepting the invitation I just gave. Thanks again to the four panelists here. Of course, also the best for you. And thank you very much for joining. It was really my pleasure moderating it. And thanks for sharing your insights, all of you.